This is the Bobcats, a Bob Dylan fan podcast. Since his acceptance speech time was limited, Bob has decided to come on Weekend Update and further elaborate on his feelings about receiving this prestigious award. Bob Dylan, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Bob. That was gonna be that a sad time, have a time. In the summer of 1991, when I was seven years old, my older brother Dan, who was 16, did an impression of Bob Dylan. It was what I would later dub the 80s wheeze, which I'm pretty sure was based on a Dana Carvey impression as seen on Saturday Night Live after Bob received his Lifetime Achievement Award in February of that year. It was a few months later during a sunny summer day that my brother walked in from the backyard. He was talking about music, which was a regular topic of conversation among my two older siblings. They both watched a lot of MTV and had CD towers and stereo systems that were large, even by the standards of that era. I remember word for word that Dan said, there's a guy who sings like this. And I remember my exact train of thought in that moment. I wonder why he's a famous singer if he really sings like that. Was my brother exaggerating or did he really sing like that and people liked it? Did he sing like that on purpose? And if he did, people must like it because he's famous. That was the first time I ever heard of Bob Dylan. The contradiction contained within that brief interaction made a lasting impression and really got the gears in my head turning. At seven, I hadn't really done a lot of deep thinking about how people come to do what they do. I figured people who are good at putting out fires become firemen. People who are good at hitting baseballs become baseball players. People who were good at singing became professional singers. That made sense to me. So when my brother told me that there was a professional singer who sang in a strange way, I was immediately intrigued. I figured there must be a lot more to the story. It was not long after that I heard Bob Dylan for the first time. My brother played the greatest hit CD for me, and I eventually started taking it out on my own from his tall CD tower and dropping it into his stereo's rotating CD changer. I listened to it at night along with Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits and James Taylor's greatest hits. Of all the albums my brother played, these seemed to be the best ones to fall asleep to. I remember vividly falling asleep to Mr. Tambourine Man. The poetry was beautiful, but it didn't need to be. It was the flow of the words as they ran through my head that cast a spell on me. 30 years later, I feel the same way every time I hear the song. And take me disappearing through the smoke rings of my mind Down the foggy ruins of time Far past the frozen leaves The haunted frightened trees Out to the windy beach Far from the twisted reach of crazy sorrow The songs that didn't put me to sleep made the gears in my head turn even more. Even as a seven-year-old, I was struck by how different each song was from each of the rest. They all had their own voice, their own perspective, and seemed to exist in their own universe. The guy singing Blowing in the Wind seemed so peaceful and inclusive and sang about things on a grand scale. Mountains, seas, and people. The guy singing Positively 4th Street sounded bitter and angry and sang about things that were so specific. You hurt me, and this is how you did it. I wish you could stand inside my shoes. The guy singing just like a woman lingered for emphasis on important words, while the guy on Subterranean Homesick Blues spit them out rapid fire. 
throwing another image or idea at you before you were through absorbing the previous one. It seemed like magic that the singer was able to create these worlds using just words, his voice, and some instruments. Are you fake just like a woman? Yes, you do. You make love just like a woman. Yes, you do. Then you ache just like a woman. But you break just like a little girl. The next time I heard a Bob Dylan song, I didn't know it was a Bob Dylan song. My older sister, Mindy, had the soundtrack for the movie Born on the Fourth of July. On it, Edie Brickell sings, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. One day I was walking past her bedroom when I was instantly captivated by the world created within the words of the song. Misty mountains, sad forests, dead oceans. The apocalyptic imagery was in sharp contrast to the room it was emanating from. Walls painted bright pink, covered with posters and torn out magazine pages featuring new kids on the block and a cast of other 80s teen heartthrobs. I've stumbled on side of 12 misty mountains. I've walked and I've crawled on six crooked highways. I've stepped in the middle of seven sad forests. I didn't look into the song any further. I didn't know it was a Bob Dylan song until many years later when I found a live version from Leipzig, Germany in 1998, posted on bobdylan.com. I proceeded to listen to it hundreds of times. I'd click on the song file before I left the house, knowing it would take hours to load so it would be ready to play again by the time I got home. Years later, I would learn of another Bob Dylan connection to Born on the 4th of July. As part of the movie, it was based on the life of Bob's best friend, Larry Keegan, who was a bandmate of my buddy, Gene LaFond. Of a hard rain's gonna fall would serve as my introduction to modern live Bob Dylan, 
And despite his voice being completely transformed from what it was in the 60s, I was still drawn to it. Musicians I was familiar with, like Paul McCartney and Paul Simon, still sounded pretty much like they did in the 60s. Dylan did not. And I was intrigued to find out why. Again, maybe it was the future journalist in me, but it seemed like there was a lot to the story and a lot of questions to be answered. I saw a video of Bob Dylan performing for the first time when I was flipping through the channels on our old satellite system. G510 was a channel I usually skipped past. It was the music channel. It was sort of like an MTV home shopping network hybrid. It rotated through music videos and compilations around the clock, and you could call the number on the screen to order them. The Bob Dylan 30th anniversary concert celebration took place in October of 1992. And sometime after the music channel started airing the guitar hero ensemble performance of my back pages. Again, this was before the internet. So it was exciting just to be able to see all these music legends, Roger McGuinn, Tom Petty, Eric Clapton, Neil Young, and George Harrison all performing together. I asked my dad and my brother a lot of questions about each of the guys who were playing. I was particularly interested in the guy that didn't seem to fit, who looked nervous, wore a perpetual scowl, and seemed to sing as if he were in pain. When they told me the old disheveled guy was Bob Dylan, I was very surprised. He didn't seem to have the confidence and presence that were evident in the music he'd made 25 years earlier. Plus, it never even occurred to me that the guy would still be alive. I think if I was asked to guess at the time, I would have said he was about 80. I remember thinking how highly regarded he must be since he clearly can't sing as well as the other guys, yet they're all there to sing with him in a concert in his honor in front of a packed arena. He seemed like he was on the verge of death, but he sure seemed to command a lot of respect. There must be a lot more to learn about this guy, and I wanted to learn it. You have been listening to The Bobcats, a Bob Dylan fan podcast. You can find back episodes of the show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, review, and share a link to this podcast with your Bob-loving friends around the world. For the latest Bob Dylan news and commentary, follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Stike. Once again, thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Bobcats. The Bobcats.